So come, whether you have much faith or little, have tried to follow or are afraid you failed. Come because it is his will that those who want to meet him might meet him here. Welcome to From the Narthex, a podcast about faith, life, and Anglicanism. This is your host, Ryan. And today on the pod, I'm very pleased uh, to announce this, this special guest that we have. Uh, before I name him, I would just want to say that I've known this guest for, for some time now. He was actually part of my discernment process for uh, entering into postulancy here in the Diocese of Rupert's Land. Uh, and then he went on to be my spiritual director for a time. Uh, and so I'm really grateful to get to reconnect with the Reverend Canon Dr. Murray Still. Welcome to the podcast, Murray. Thank you. Good to be with you. Thanks. So one of the things that we like to, to jump into before we get to any of the other questions is just this very simple question, uh, which is, what does faith mean to you? Well, I think faith for me is, 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 is a place where you put your trust and your, your belief systems and your values into. Uh, and so uh, for me, uh, my primary faith is, is uh, in following the one who created us, the one who, uh, who loves us, the one who redeemed us. And, uh, and that would be Jesus. Uh, so uh, for me, that's where I place my, my um, ongoing faith and belief. And certainly uh, uh, a lot of uh, what I do say and the way in which, uh, which I live uh, comes out of uh, the way in which I reflect on that. That's a great answer. So uh, Murray, we met, oh, probably what, three years ago now? And uh, you, you were part of the committee. So for those who are kind of outside of um, the, the intricate workings of the Anglican church, when somebody wants to become a priest, they have to kind of talk to their, their parish and then the parish will form a discernment group. And then you get sent up to the diocese and the diocese forms a discernment group. And then you get sent uh, to one more level yet and they do some more interviews. So I met Murray because he was part of my priestly ministry team and he was the, the priest on that group. And they decided that I should have some spiritual direction. And so I was casting about for a spiritual director and then uh, Murray, you, you put up your hand and you're like, well, I, I actually do that. And I thought, well, well, this is great. Uh, I should go and, and do that. Uh, and then I discovered that actually um, this was a very fortuitous uh, connection that I'd made because you have quite a lot of experience uh, with the indigenous side of the church and are quite instrumental in a lot of that work. Uh, so could you just tell our listeners what your roles have been in kind of the, the creation of, or the, the kind of discern, discerning process by which the indigenous Anglican church has, has moved forward in the recent years? Yeah, it's, it's, a, it, it's a fascinating process. Um, yeah, for me, that whole process began uh, in the early 80s or so, somewhere back in there, uh, maybe late 80s now. It's it, when the Book of Alternative Services first came out uh, in the Anglican Church. I think that was around 1985 or so, somewhere in yeah, there. Yeah, I think that's right. And uh, when the BAS first came out, uh, it was it was uh, sort of um, uh, underway in parishes. That they, they, they'd started to integrate it into their parish life. And um, at the national level of the church, uh, they were uh, seeking people to come together on the BAS Evaluation Commission. So uh, I had a role uh, as a commissioner, 
Uh, and at, the, at that time, I was uh, living and working and ministering in the Diocese of Coppell in Saskatchewan. And so uh, I attended many of the national uh, meetings on the BAS Evaluation Commission. Now, through that national exposure, um, uh, the, um, uh, I got uh, sort of uh, connected with our primate, uh, Michael Piers, and he invited me to attend the second national uh, native convocation which at the time was held in uh, Kenora, Ontario. Uh, and that, um, that uh, uh, connection was, uh, uh, stayed with me for a long time. So I've, I've attended all of the national uh, sacred gatherings since then. Uh, and uh, there have been a number of them. They were first called the National Native Convocation uh, and then later uh, became known as the Anglican Sacred Circle. Uh, the Anglican Sacred Circle is, uh, is a uh, group of Anglican Indigenous uh, people from coast to coast to coast uh, who gather roughly every three years uh, to uh, take a look at um, uh, this, their spiritual life and how they, how they can uh, integrate themselves into the Anglican circles of life uh, where they live. Um, so, uh, the back in in uh, the uh, at the National Native Convocation in Kenora, where I attended in 1993, uh, the the gathering there uh, was uh, like the first gathering, uh, similar to the first gathering which was held in Fort Coppell in in 1988. I I didn't attend that gathering because uh, I was in seminary at the time of the College of Manuel in Saint Chad. So, uh, uh, but uh, uh, the, the first gathering was uh, all indigenous peoples. There were no non-indigenous participations other, other than the primate. And uh, this second gathering had some partners in it. Uh, so we're a little bit more diversified. Um, and uh, the, there was an agenda set forward uh, to, to look at. Uh, and we, we were looking at, at uh, our agenda. And through the process of, of the agenda, we, uh, we um, began to look at the residential schools and its experience in people's lives. Uh, that set in motion uh, three days worth of discussions, uh, well, not discussions, but, uh, but uh, uh, sharing of people's experience from the residential schools. Uh, three solid days. Um, and through those three days, it was pouring rain. It just absolutely poured and poured and poured. Um, and one after another, the uh, Indigenous peoples came forward to share their stories of pain coming from the residential schools. Uh, and it, it was just um, uh, horrendous to, to uh, some of their experiences. And to sit there and to listen was a, a, a really difficult time to hear everybody uh, talking about how, uh, and for many of them, their experiences were similar, uh, you know, in terms of some of the, um, the, the um, uh, experience in residential school where you'd come, the first thing you would, would happen as a student anyway, is it, after being removed from your home uh, to go to a school sometimes very, very far uh, away was uh, to, you would, you would get a, a uniform, uh, you would get a number, you don't have a name anymore, uh, you'd get your hair cut off uh, that, uh, that was long and, and braided. And uh, it was the beginning of a process where the school would try to remove from you your indigenous identity uh, and uh, uh, any um, understanding of that uh, uh, from a very, very young age because the residential schools uh, had as their purpose 
to kill the Indian in the child. And so that was what was trying to happen to these students in residential school. So you can imagine the, the pain uh, of this three days. Now, one elder at the time I remember, uh, and it's on the Anglican videos for anybody who wants to, uh, to, to look at and, and get a feeling for those uh, sacred circles. Uh, uh, the, the one at, uh, at Kenora, he smashes his hand down. He says, I'll never be afraid to talk to a white man. And he, he's very, very angry, pounding. And I want to hear the apology of the Anglican Church of Canada. And so that's the kind of thing. There was a lot of anger. There was a lot of crying. There was a lot of pain through those three days of solid days of rain and pour. And then, um, and then after those three days, uh, um, Michael uh, uh, stood up and delivered the apology of the Anglican Church of Canada. And uh, of course, that apology we all we're all familiar with today. Uh, the that experience was a difficult one. At the end of the three days, uh, the sun came out. Uh, we were on the shores of of uh, uh, the where uh, where we were because we're, it was in Kenora, just against the water there, and uh, uh, we had an outdoor Eucharist, and the eagle soared in the background. So, uh, and wow. all the circle I've been at, uh, an eagle has has been present and soared in our gatherings. And uh, what, what's the significance of that for you, Mary? Well, the eagle uh, is a very sacred bird uh, that uh, represents for us the creator's blessings upon us, looking out toward and down toward us and circling around where we are, uh, representing for us the presence of the creator in our midst, knowing full well that, that, he, that the creator has been with us and blessing us. And so uh, the, the, uh, um, the outdoor Eucharist was uh, very moving and powerful. And of course, the sun came out, another sign of God's um, presence with us and a sign for us of hope uh, after sharing all those three days of pain. The next, uh, the next year in uh, 1994, uh, Indigenous Anglicans gathered at St. Benedict's Retreat Center here in Winnipeg. Um, and there were about maybe Oh, I don't know the exact number, but there might have been 25 of us, if that. Uh, it was a small number of us. Uh, and uh, at that point in time, we, uh, the Anglican Church of Canada, uh, gathered to um, look at uh, its, its vision over five years, the next strategic plan over the next five years. And the Anglican Church is constantly doing this, looking at its strategic plan, where are we headed, where have we been, uh, what, what kind of goals are we going to set. And so we came to this gathering at St. Benedict's Retreat Center, and the, um, uh, the papers were set out in front of us as to what the Anglican Church wanted from us and, and the questions for us to answer. And we as Indigenous people looked at the stacks of paper and we threw them all in the air and said, that's uh, you know, based upon where we were last year, that doesn't speak to us at all. Instead, right. we want to make we want to decide for ourselves what coming out of out of out of Kenora last year do we really want to say to the church? And so we decided the best way to move forward was to send a handful of us, myself included. There were six of us that went up or into an upper uh, room area, uh, and the rest of them sang hymns and prayed while we were in doing our thing. And after. Uh, we went in there just uh, after supper hour and came back uh, around midnight and there, and uh, we had, uh, we basically indicated that um, we would uh, we would sleep on this come back and share our findings with the gathering uh, the next day which is what we did 
and we shared it with the small group of people and the National Native Covenant was born and, and consensus reached. And, uh, and we shared a communion to get service again and, and uh, everybody came forward one by one and signed the National Native Covenant. That National Native Covenant uh, called for uh, self-determination within the Anglican Church of Canada. And um, that has been uh, the foundation of where we have been since that moment to today. Now that's a, just over a 25 year process and lots, is, lots of water has been underneath that bridge as we have worked within our church. Right. to gain uh to help the church understand what our challenges have been as indigenous peoples and uh how we might integrate uh the uh, the um sort of uh indigenous understandings into the life of our church uh, uh today as a, one of the tri-chairs of the anglican council of indigenous people we are following up on our last sacred circle which was held in 2019, I believe, in, in uh, uh, and we held that in uh, uh, Prince George, BC. Uh, and uh, uh, when we met there, uh, we, we indicated that uh, we would meet again in, in three years time and to try to, uh, in, in between that, to, to, to do a certain piece of work, which would base, based on Canon 22, which is self-determination already uh, sort of approved by General Synod. Uh, and, and so we, we did that work and we moved that work forward to the next general center, which was in Vancouver. Right. Uh, Vancouver, that's when we, we adopted, or we, uh, they, the Anglican Church of Canada uh, accepted the uh, premise of the fifth province in Canada, which would be uh, in recognition of that, made our, our uh, national indigenous bishop, uh, Mark MacDonald into an archbishop. And so uh, now what we're working on is the canons and constitutions for a fifth province, which we will bring to a virtual sacred circle in July of this year. And it's, it's almost complete and, uh, and it will be uh, uh, renamed and we're, we're calling the canons and constitution, um, the covenant and our way of life. And so that's where oh, we're cool. going to be. Uh, it's, it's very that, that's, that's really exciting. I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to see um, how that will work out because of course this fifth province is kind of unlike the other four provinces in that it's not geographically bounded in the same way, correct? That's right, yeah. yeah. So it, it kind of covers all indigenous ministry right across, right across Canada. Um, yeah, it's it's fascinating to hear you kind of lay out this history because I know there there have been a lot of zigs and zags. You know, you, you read something like the the Pinawa Declaration, and there's goals expressed there that didn't necessarily come to fruition, and uh, then different paths were taken. Um, so it's really exciting to see this fifth province and um, kind of what's what's going to come of that. Uh, I'm I look forward to the Sacred Circle and when, whenever you can make all that stuff public. Uh, this, this coming July, we, we will go through it. We probably won't have uh, um, the final uh, completion of it then. We, 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 it would then go back to regional meetings for translation and more discussion in the fall. But Sacred Circle, we're hoping to be a live personal in-person in uh, Sacred Circle next uh, June. Uh, uh, and uh, uh, I think somewhere around Aurelia, Ontario. Uh, okay, so June 2022, you're hoping to be in person yeah. again? Yeah, and that's, that's when that's when we would put the final touches on it and have a communion to to uh, like we have done in other important moments and and uh, and uh, celebrate that moment together. And then I suppose the next uh, general synod will be 2022 as well, right? That's correct. We so. Try 
I think it circles ahead of General Synod. So it, the General Synod, I think, is July or August. I can't remember. Now, will um, will the General Synod have to have to accept any of the the things that Sacred Circle decides on, or or at this point, are you like kind of fully self determining in that in those respects? Well, Canon Twenty Two gave us the self determination we need. Uh, all we're doing is building the Constitution around that, so we don't. Oh, okay, that's great. Um, so you spoke, you've spoken a bit, quite a bit now about uh, kind of your role as an Indigenous person in the church, but I, I was wondering if you could just tell us a little bit about um, kind of your own Indigenous identity. I, I believe uh, you're from, you have connections to Peguis, um, but you grew up mostly in Winnipeg, is that correct? Yeah, that's right. You know, I, my, I grew up, uh, uh, well, I was born in Selkirk, Manitoba, uh, a little ways north of Winnipeg. Uh, and that's kind of where all my family is, my cousins, uh, my relatives are, uh, that I grew up with are all there. Uh, so uh, a lot of my, uh, my uh, family life is rooted there. Uh, but uh, my dad worked for uh, Manitoba Hydro. My dad uh, is uh, not Indigenous. He, he came from, uh, uh, his, his family line came from Scotland. Um, and um, uh, the, um, he married my mom and, and we settled down in, uh, in Fort Derry where my dad worked uh, for Manitoba Hydro. And, uh, and um, uh, my mom, uh, well, she, she, um, uh, she's Indigenous, of course, uh, and has, a tr has treaty status now, but, but all my life growing up, she, she was, did not identify with that, nor, nor was it uh, a big part of our life, other than the fact that Every Christmas, I got a, I got a, we all got presents from Grandma Winnie. <laughs> and, uh, you know, uh, all of us knew that there was gifts there, but we never got to meet Grandma Winnie. Now, it turns out Grandma Winnie is my mother's mother, uh, her maternal mother. And uh, the, to, to make a, a very long story short, uh, uh, when I was uh, uh, a deacon in charge of the parish of Grand Rapids, which is a Métis and, um, and uh, uh, status community. Uh, there's a reserve on one side and the Métis community on the other. Uh, right. I received a package in the mail and uh, it came from uh, an uncle uh, of mine, uh, my, my mother's uh, uh, family and uh, looking for my mother uh, and asking about her, uh, about her maiden name. Have you met, have, have, uh, do you, you know, they somehow tracked me down. And, um, and I said, well, you know, that's not her name now, it's still, and, uh, but, but uh, you know, you found the right person. So uh, he mailed me uh, a package in Grand Rapids with uh, my mom's uh, story uh, of, who, her, of all her family that she didn't know. And uh, that began the very long 25 year search uh, of family and uh, connectedness to, uh, to Peguis, uh, uh, and uh, it resulted in, in treaty status eventually. Uh, so, uh, uh, but there was a lot of, of that going back and forward. Now, my mom uh, eventually uh, uh, was quite happy to discover her family background and history. My, my grandfather, uh, my dad's, uh, 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 my, sorry, my mom's father, uh, he, uh, he um, uh, was uh, um, uh, a street person in Winnipeg, uh, like he, he was on the streets, and and uh, he was a member of the Winnipeg Grenadiers. Oh, and, uh, uh, the, the that's an interesting history because the Grenadiers uh, were uh, uh, looking uh, for people to to go to Hong Kong. Uh, to defend the country, uh, to the uh, and uh, to be, represent their country rather, and and 
my my grandfather was part of the third stream of the of the Grenadiers. Uh, stream A of those Grenadiers uh, were people who were sent overseas to learn how to shoot a gun and and uh, military procedures and all that. And Stream B were the people who were sent to the east coast of Canada to learn how to sh uh, shoot a rifle and, and maybe a little bit of basics. And Stream Stream C or the third stream was my grandfather. People they plucked off the street and just sent over to Hong Kong. Oh and, wow! Uh, and and he died a prisoner of war there uh, in in Hong Kong. Uh, so, uh, uh, but he was an Indigenous man, of course, and, uh, and uh, uh, my mom didn't get to know her mother, but I, I found my grandma Winnie uh, on her uh, deathbed, uh, and uh, she looked to be my mother's twin sister, that, that because she oh, had wow. been very young, maybe 15 or 16, and my mother uh, was removed from her by Child and Family Services, and, and never, got, so we talk about 60 scoop here. Well, my mother was scooped up in around the 30s. Uh, so right. uh, that scoop was not, didn't start in the 60s. Uh, and, uh, and my mom was one of the ones who grew up without any idea of her identity. Uh, now, my dad and my mom did travel to, uh, uh, to a, or, or visited a, a place in Winnipeg where my mom's family was gathered at one time. But there was a, a big party going on, a lot of people drinking and whatnot. And my, my dad was not too interested in my mother hanging around that kind of environment. So he, he removed her away from that. And, uh, and she, she grew up kind of isolated from her family after that uh, and, right. and never really got to know them. So we're finding and, and discovering family now. And, and, uh, and that's been uh, a very, very good process uh, to, for me and for our family uh, to, to get to know. Uh, and as far as indigenous um, uh, identity and, and uh, spirituality and, and that kind of thing, well, I've kind of uh, I've kind of lived into that through workshops. So when I was in Grand Rapids, uh, I was put there as the um, as the deacon in charge. Um, and uh, my uh, one of my lay readers at the time was a young man, and um, and he his family was a very prominent Métis family in, in Grand Rapids, uh, very well known. And and uh, and uh, this young man had been attending workshops uh, to learn about uh, indigenous spirituality, uh, uh, native spirituality, they call it at the time, I guess. And, and yeah. so uh, the, the, when I went to, uh, to Grand Rapids as the deacon in charge, the, the priest who was there, uh, who was vacated the place and he was living next door in Easterville, but was still a very big presence in Grand Rapids. And uh, uh, this lay reader, uh, when it was known that he was doing these native workshops, uh, native spirituality workshops, my predecessor said, well, you can't belong uh, to, to, uh, to the church if you're going to do that. Uh, you, you can't practice uh, your, your, your spirituality in our church. Uh, and uh, and it's, it's evil. If you do that stuff, you're going to go to hell. Oh. So, uh, so that was, um, he, he was not in regular attendance. In, he came to, to, uh, one, uh, to, to church while I was there because, of course, my predecessor wasn't there. And, and I had a conversation with this young man. Uh, and, uh, and I said, you know, uh, I, I don't have a problem with what you're doing. In fact, I'd like to go along with you. And so I did. <laughs> I went to a lot of these workshops with him. And, uh, and we did a lot of growing and understanding and, and been a part of a lot of things. One of the last things we did when, when I was there anyway was uh, to uh, a healing workshop in, in Grand Rapids uh, because there's a lot of um, uh, challenge there. Uh, uh, and, 
uh, you know, alcohol, drugs, uh, uh, those are, are big parts of, of uh, Indigenous communities and, and, and certainly non-Indigenous communities as well in the rural areas, but, but certainly it was a problem there. And uh, we visited the, uh, the leaders of those communities and we uh, went and, and did one-on-one -on -one visits in, to each of the leaders within the community. Went and visited the teachers, the doctors, the, 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 uh, the resource officers, anybody who was in a leadership position, we visited them. And we brought them all together in a large circle. And uh, out of that circle, they, uh, we talked at that circle. We talked about the the, the problems in that community that needed resolving. And uh, from that group, twelve of us were chosen as a core group, and we did a number of workshops: uh, healing, recovering of, of culture, uh, spirituality, those kinds of things. And uh, and uh, they were uh, they were good um, uh, attendance out to each of those kinds of things. Um, and uh, and my lay reader eventually became my warden uh, in the uh, in the Anglican Church there, um, and uh, he uh, he was a, a very good friend, and he actually attended the uh, the National Native Convocation with me in in uh, Kenora, and at that time I remember okay. talking with him because he had by this time he was having some real struggles with the church because the church. Uh, was not really uh, um, interested in, in um, uh, incorporating anything from nat native spirituality. So uh, when we first arrived, uh, you know, uh, we had been told that we would get some teachings. Uh, Rome, uh, there was a Roman Catholic indigenous elder who was giving the, the teachings on indigenous culture and spirituality. And uh, so one of the first announcements when we got to Kenora was, Oh, uh, hey, uh, uh, the, the, there's going to be no sacred fire. And so, so my, my lay reader came to me and he says, you know, uh, what is this nonsense? I mean, uh, uh, a sacred circle, uh, a sacred fire is a sacred fire. It's, it's kept lit by the fire keeper, what, rain or snow or shine, whatever. It's kept lit all the way through the gathering. There's no an, an announcement. Well, because it's raining, there's no, no sacred fire. So he was very upset. And he wanted to go home. Uh, and yeah. so I, I said to him, look, uh, uh, I'm happy to take you back home. I'll drive you home. But first, I want you to, to, to uh, answer for yourself internally. You don't have to tell me. But first of all, uh, remember your baptism. Who are you in your baptism uh, uh, as a Christian? And uh, if, if you are indeed a Christian and, and you believe yourself to be one and you believe uh, in Jesus, uh, ask yourself what he would say about these indigenous teachings. Because for me, Jesus said, uh, I have come not to abolish your ways and your laws and your customs. Uh, uh, I have come to fulfill them. And I left those words with him to think about and ponder about. And uh, uh, even though we were, and I and reminded him that we as indigenous people were only learning about what was, what was robbed from us. And so we, we were just starting a process of uh, learning and growth. And so um, uh, bottom line was that he stayed and um, uh, it, uh, it, it was, it, I think, a positive experience in the end. Now uh, that I've kept in touch with him a little bit through the years, but uh, he, he's not currently, I don't think, associated much with the church. But uh, it, was a good, it was a good learning for him. And I think uh, he, he, he went to Winnipeg to become an actual teacher, you know, got his mm. B.Ed. degree. Yeah. Now teaches uh, in uh, northern Manitoba and does... Uh, uh, teach the integration of, of culture uh, and, and spirituality and those kinds of things. So that's great. He, he has come to own those things for himself. 
and is quite uh, confident and proud young uh, Indigenous man. And for that, I, I, I'm, I'm quite grateful. So, so, so um, just to back up for, for yourself, um, being from, you're kind of connected to Pegasus, does that mean, uh, are you Anishinaabe then, or? Yeah, I mean, yeah. exactly. Uh, and, and uh, well, Pegasus, uh, the history of the people of Pegasus comes from Chief Pegasus, uh, who was, uh, well, many believe he was Ojibwe, but Pegasus has a combination of people who are both Cree and Ojibwe. Okay. In terms of that family line, uh, there's people there from Pegwis, uh, uh, also Fisher River, and another uh, reserve up in northern Saskatchewan. Uh, the ones from Fish Fisher River and Saskatchewan are Cree, uh, and uh, and uh, a lot of them, uh, just because of the way in which families connect themselves, are uh, connected to the people of Pegwis and even uh, Brokenhead to, to some degree. Uh, so they, the, the you know the family line has traveled. And so uh, dis 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 discerning whether you're of Cree descent or Ojibwe descent is, is a lot of people's uh, kind of quest or, or journey in Pegwis. Um, right. But uh, of course, there's, there's a lot of, uh, most indigenous peoples are affected by, by the de development of colonization and residential schools. So right. in Pegwis, a lot of the people there just speak English. Uh, right. And, and uh, there, there's, there's not a lot of, uh, of people speaking uh, other languages there, though, I think that's a part of their recovery process, even ongoing now. And and have you uh, have you been able to recover any language at all? Or I've made I've made stabs at it. Uh, yeah. And uh, um, I'm I'm hoping to uh, to continue that work uh, now that I'm semi-retired. Uh, uh, and uh, we're hoping to get an introduction to Cree classes. Uh, and um, Ellen Cook, who's an elder in our diocese, uh, has. Um, uh, we, uh, as part of our Indigenous awareness activities last, I think it was last year or the year before, might have been the year before, uh, we met at Epiphany Indigenous and, um, and she, uh, she um, uh, uh, did some intro to Cree classes. Oh, I cool. And those, but be, there was a lot of other things happening at the time and I it just uh, couldn't make it. So I'm hoping to get to the next round of those uh, introduction to Cree classes, which will happen uh, this coming fall. Uh, but uh, uh, it's interesting because when I was in Grand Rapids, I, I took a stab at a few words because, you know, uh, one of the, uh, one, this is a cute little story because one of the elders that, that there, when I first arrived in Grand Rapids, he, he, uh, he was, uh, had a mischievous side to him, you know, and, and, uh, and uh, he said uh, to me one day after a church service, he says, you know, um, you, uh, you uh, should be going to see the, 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 uh, uh, the elders, you know, and and uh, and when you see them, especially these women, you need to be able to uh, to our, our elders, you know, because they're important, and you need to be able to say to them, "Tansinitimus, Tansinitimus," uh, you know, and, and he got me to say that over and over again, "Tansinitimus, Tansinitimus," you know, and and practice that and practice that. Well, okay, I thought I saw the little gleam in his eyes. You know. <laughs> and, uh, I I went home and looked into my Cree dictionary. And, yeah. uh, and of course, what, you know, what, what the word really means is my other self. It's kind of like your intimate partner type of thing. <laughs> so, uh, so uh, you know, he, he was, he, he was determined that I would learn the phrase. Well, Tansi is just welcome and help, help, yeah. uh, that kind of thing. But Niti was, you know, he really wanted me to make sure that I got that saying right. And so uh, Brenda and I, uh, we, we looked into the Cree dictionary. And so, 
on Sunday when he was there because he wanted to make sure he did, he already ever attended church, but he was there on Sunday. Uh, and, uh, you know, uh, at the end of the greeting line, you know, he, he, uh, you know, his, uh, you know, people were, were, it was first Sunday or second Sunday there or whatever. And, and, uh, and we were, we were just, uh, uh, greeting people. I'd say tansy, tansy and whatnot. And he says, no, no, you're getting it wrong. You're getting it wrong. And so I, I shook his hand. I said, tansy needs him. And I gave him a kick, peck on the cheek, you know, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I just kind of turned the tables on him a little bit, you know. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> That's great. It was it was really fun, but that he was a really neat elder, and uh, and uh, uh, you know it was uh, it was a good community because a lot of the indigenous people, despite what they've been through, have a great sense of humor. And I think that's uh, and that's part of the resilience of indigenous peoples is to find uh, the way forward through laughter and for humor. And and when I would learn a Cree word, I'd, I'd try to use it, and people would laugh. And and I thought, you know, what, what the hey? I mean, <laughs> yeah. and it, it's because you're not pronouncing it right or or whatnot. Because if you if you have the wrong pronunciation, it, it can mean something completely different. <laughs> right. Yeah. Cause it, it. Yeah. And it, and it's hard when your ears not accustomed to. Uh, a different language you don't always appreciate those subtleties of pronunciation right yeah that for sure yeah yeah <laughs> oh that's great so um during the month of june uh in in canada folks uh we have the, the national uh, national indigenous day i believe is the 21st of june and um so we tend to kind of have a focus across canada on uh indigenous history and unfortunately, this month um, kind of coincided with the discovery of 215 children at Kamloops. And so there's been kind of extra attention this year uh, in the news. And a lot of folks, uh, a lot of non-Indigenous folks in particular, have responded with, uh, with shock and dismay. Um, and, and that's been often met with some frustration from, from the survivors of residential schools because these things have been known now for quite some time. Uh, and yet the broader broader society still kind of practices ignorance around it. Um, and I know you're quite heavily invested uh, now in, in kind of the, the Anglican learning journey that, that goes on here in the diocese around, around education for that. And so I just wondered if, if you could reflect a little bit on, on kind of some of the reactions, either of you, either your own or some of the reactions you heard um, around the, the 215 children found at Kamloops and then and kind of some of the work that, that you're doing this month to, to draw attention to kind of the ongoing learning journey and that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, when the announcement first came out, uh, 215 uh, uh, Know, uh, that were discovered uh, in Kamloops, uh, you know, the first reaction uh, is shock. Uh, yeah, you know, that's, that's a large number uh, of uh, um, bodies that were traced to bones that were traced uh, at, at, the, at the former residential school. And um, it's not as though we as, as elders, we as indigenous people uh, have not heard uh, uh, about the possibility of remains uh, at, on the grounds of indigenous uh, of, of these indigenous Indian residential schools, uh, it, we have been told that the elders have been telling us that uh, the the government uh, has heard that by uh, and and the Truth and Reconciliation Commission 
actually in its report uh, said that there's their estimate was around a thousand uh, uh, yeah. uh, that would that, that would be discovered uh, that 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 were unknown. Uh, so it's not as though we didn't know that, but but the actual discovery uh, by by this equipment to to locate uh, remains uh, in Kamloops did throw uh, throw us into shock. Now. Uh, the, the reaction of, of uh, myself was, of course, shock and then uh, anger uh, again uh, over uh, what uh, had happened to Indigenous peoples, particularly children. When you're yeah. a father uh, of, uh, thankfully, two grown adult sons now, but I remember when they were young, uh, you know, and to have your, your, your children ripped away from you uh, at a very young age, some as young as early as three years old, you know, uh, and never to be seen again, never come home, uh, and 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 not know what happened to them, not even get get uh, 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 you know a statement from from the school that that, that uh, you know your child had died. Uh, you know, I can't even begin to um, wrap my head around the the the, the um, how how that tr trauma would uh, would um, stay with you. Uh, you know, and and it has for these survivors. Uh, you know, living with that kind of trauma and the ones of the trauma of the, of the survivors left who went through the schools and some of those uh, uh, who were in the schools, we do know that, for example, we, I read uh, one particular post of a person who was a survivor at Kamloops and who witnessed a child being thrown from the, the, the school building to the ground and died. So uh, eyewitness accounts of these yeah. kinds, uh, you know, is a real shocker. Uh, uh, and um, the it is it is uh, horrific. So uh, uh, to go through shock and then anger uh, over um, how uh, indigenous peoples were treated and treated like animals, really almost uh, uh, soulless people uh, that uh, that uh, you know the doctrine of terra nullius we're discovering, and we know that that means empty lands, right? Uh, there's nobody on these lands. There there were. Uh, you know, millions of us, uh, you know, uh, uh, inheriting Turtle Island, but but uh, none of them had souls, I suppose, in the eyes of the of the missionaries, um, uh, and uh, this land was empty land. Uh, uh, so it all comes uh, it all comes back to you in a terrible way uh, to revisit all that stuff. It, uh, it, it to be it's it's a shocker, and. Um, uh, to to hear about about this yet again, and to know that this is not this is not the end. The discovery of those remains in in Kamloops uh, only uh, fueled the fire for people to to carry that um, exploration further to other residential school grounds. So in uh, in Brandon, uh, we there's the discovery of about 104 remains of children on the former residential school grounds uh, in Brandon. Yeah. Erickson, I think, uh, had another school, and there are others where where uh, remains will likely be found as well. But I think now that that um, the the um, technology exists to be able to find them, I think um, many communities. I, I'm hearing now about Ontario, where they uh, have uh, committed money. The government has committed money there uh, to to uh, carry that work on there. So it, it is going to continue, and I think that's a good thing because. Uh, we need to bring uh, some closure to some, to Indigenous families and to to bring our children home, so to speak, uh, to to give them uh, uh, the the um, 
dignity uh, of the, to, back to those children. And so uh, uh, our task will continue for quite some time. But what has happened uh, in the course of the discovery of the remains? What has happened? Uh, I'll tell you what's happened is uh, I witnessed again with some shock colleagues uh, of mine, indigenous colleagues across the church who took their collars and removed them. Now, it also came from non-indigenous clergy uh, of different races. So all of the races have, have basically done this as a sign of solidarity uh, to, to indigenous families uh, affected by the quote unquote institution. Because you see the church run residential schools uh, were uh, seen as an institution. And um, uh, the church, if you will, quote unquote, is seen as part of that institution. And as an institution, it has teachings, doctrines, and things of that nature. So uh, when you remove your collar uh, in solidarity, it's one thing uh, as a sign of, uh, of uh, being sort of in solidarity with the families that have lost loved ones. But when you remove a collar and, uh, and, and say, well, I renounce all of this, that, that then becomes another challenge uh, that, that may exist there. Uh, and uh, the, the um, uh, removal of callers, I think, has sent a message to the indigenous community that, that uh, revisits the institution's um, treatment of indigenous peoples, uh, past and present. So uh, therefore, uh, what it's done and is doing is breaking the trust down of the church uh, across the country where indigenous peoples were there are uh, there's a lack of trust in indigenous communities now that that um, is fueled by experiences of residential school colonization uh 60s scoop uh, uh you know uh the uh the way in which uh racism play, uh, you know uh, uh its ugly head is uh surfacing uh, institutional racism, uh, even within our own church. So uh, the um, the lack that the trust factor has been has been broken down. So that uh, what what it means for our indigenous communities is that young people, not knowing who they are any longer, and struggling with their identity, and in a home where perhaps there's a lot of violence and and, and addiction, are are committing suicide. Young people uh, and very young, some as, as young as as, as uh, five, seven years old. Uh, so children uh, and and uh, p uh, suicides are becoming the next uh, pandemic, if you will, within uh, society. Uh, after this uh, global pandemic has ended, the medical one, uh, we're going to be facing even more uh, as a result of what's been uh, happening on top of all of that. So uh, the the um, uh, tearing apart of this trust level is something that uh, we thought we were we were getting we it's a, a it's a quick it's a case I think of one step forward and maybe five steps backward right uh, and uh, where you think you've made progress uh, and and you've got people on side with you then all of a sudden uh, this happens and there's a lack of trust and uh, uh, people then are left with the uh, horrors of the of uh, the tragedy of residential school and what happened to our children. And so uh, uh, it is it is caused them to uh, to think again about what what it means to be church. Uh, so um, uh, as 
uh, one of the tri-chairs of the Anglican Council of Indigenous People, uh, we, uh, uh, it only fuels our desire to make sure that our people, the people of the Indigenous Anglican Church, understand that we are acting on their behalf to bring about self-determination. What that means is that our fifth province, uh, you will feel at home. You will feel, uh, you will once again be restored to your, your uh, uh, identity of culture, language, uh, spirituality, as, uh, as each community is ready to do that. And it will be, um, it will be supported by the uh, National Indigenous Archbishop and, uh, and, the, and the clergy who, uh, who meet uh, as part of our uh, group uh, of Sacred Circle, National Sacred Circle. So uh, we will have to be dealing in the next uh, sacred, virtual Sacred Circle. It will likely come up as a bit of a debriefing there. We've lost a lot of Indigenous clergy to the pandemic. Yeah. And, and lost a lot of uh, important uh, young people through suicide uh, and a lot of challenge uh, to our communities where there's no running water. Uh, there's, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, homes are broken down. Uh, um, uh, cost of living is high. Uh, um, uh, getting medical help is, is far away. Um, and uh, uh, we need a strategy in Canada. Uh, that will assist Indigenous communities to once again find a way to, to come back to wholeness. And that is, that's going to take um, Canadians uh, to understand what the treaties mean. Uh, we are all treaty people in Canada, red, white, yellow, and black. And the, and the uh, expression we use within Indigenous communities is all my relations. We are all related. You are all my relatives, aunts, uncles, uh, cousins, uh, grandpas, and grandmas. Within the Indigenous community, this was uh, the core of who we were uh, as, as Indigenous people. We had, before, before colonization, an understanding of being uh, a, a community of people that were, uh, um, uh, that were the individuals would be, would be within the families, uh, would be raised up to know who they were and to be proud Indigenous people. Uh, but that's lived out with a sense of family. We were connected to grandma, we were connected to grandpa, aunts, uncles, cousins. It, it, it was an egalitarian type of society. Uh, yeah. it, it was not an individualistic me, myself, and I community where, uh, where all I need is my property, my, my, my values, and, and as long as I'm comfortable in my job and my home, that's okay. I don't have to worry about my neighbor next door to us. How many people live in this, in this city of Winnipeg that don't know who lives right beside them in the, in the very house next door to them? That's right. Uh, you know, uh, so uh, that's not who we are. We, uh, we see uh, peoples as uh, one family together, the human family, red, white, yellow, and black. And if you look at our, our uh, medicine wheel, and if you look at uh, the symbol for the Anglican Council of Indigenous People, you'll see that we have that symbol, red, yellow, white, and black, and it's there for a deliberate purpose and reason. We are all related on this journey of right. life. Yeah, so, so, that, that's one of the one of the things that uh, Indigenous legal scholars have pointed out is um, back at the Treaty of Niagara in, in the 1770s there, um, you, you had, well, even even going back before that to the, the very first wampum uh, agreements uh, with the Dutch, the Dutch had come and they wanted to uh, establish a paternalistic relationship. They wanted to say, uh, we will be father, you will be son. And the Haudenosaunee said, no, 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 we'll be brothers. Uh, and the Dutch are like, okay, fine. Um, and then you saw that same impulse again in, in Treaty 1, the, the language around the negotiations was, your great mother this and your great mother that, referring to, to Queen Victoria. 
uh, again, establishing for on the indigenous side, they thought this was establishing a kinship tie, albeit a paternalistic one. Um, but when you actually read the text of the treaty, all that kinship language has been stripped out and it's very much a kind of a legal Western kind of contract, right? And, and one of the things I think that the church, um, that I've learned from you and, and others, again, is recovering the sense of all our relations really gets back hundreds of years of these, these treaty relations has been to establish these kinship ties and to, to recognize that we are all kind of related in this kind of way. Um, and that it's, it's not, um, it's not these hierarchical kind of relations, but these more kind of, you know, brothers and friends and that kind of thing. It's, it's interesting, uh, you know, Ryan, about three years back, I think now, uh, we celebrated 200 years of the treaty between uh, Chief Peguis and Lord Selkirk. Oh, uh, yes. That was before this, the, the numbered treaties. Right. Uh, that was the early, early 1800s. Yeah. And, yeah. and uh, it was the very first sort of, uh, um, it was very kind of uh, uh, experience where Indigenous and non-Indigenous peoples came together uh, in a in a real partnership type of way to to do to to see themselves as related in the way we see that, um, and uh, Chief Peguis uh, welcomed the settlers uh, to this part of of Turtle Island, and taught uh, them how to farm. You remember that, uh, of course, in our history that uh, Peguis and his people they farmed on the land uh, now called Dinaher, uh, which is in uh, Selkirk. Uh, we have a stone yep. church there, and Peguis and their uh, uh, the people of Peguis still go back there once a year uh, in June to have a picnic, uh, Peguis days. Um, and that's their home land, uh, their spiritual grounds, uh, St. Peter Dinner. Yeah. And uh, uh, the, the people of Peguis uh, taught the settlers how to farm and how to survive in a, in a harsh winter. Uh, and, and it was, um, uh, it, it was a, a spirit of, of partnership. Uh, uh, it was, and, and um, uh, Lord Selkirk uh, came, came back for visits and offered gift, gift giving, because gift giving was very important to, to our people. We, we gift uh, it, it, and give away uh, those uh, things that, that were important to us because we're family. Those, those, the, the gifting process was two ways. And so we would give to them and they would give back to us. And it's a recognition of that family life and um, that, that we are in fact related. And Lord Selkirk himself uh, made uh, made uh, many visits back, and uh, and the um, and Lord it was Lord Selkirk, uh, the current Lord Selkirk, who visited us a couple of years back and and went through those ceremonies again. And of course, since since the early days, uh, the people of Peguis were moved to their current location, which is not as uh, favorable for farming as as the original community. It's a lot of rock there. Uh, so you may see some cattle farming, but it's 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 a it's a lot a lot, a lot uh, bigger challenge there today than uh, than it was earlier. And the, the um, uh, this was before the number of treaties. So uh, this treaty was uh, a treaty of of friendship, uh, of respect, and partnership. Yeah, it's it's incredible to um, <laughs> reading around the numbered treaties. Uh, you know, they, they make reference to the fact that a lot of the agreements uh, between Pegasus and, and Selkirk had not been honored, and they were very anxious that, that whatever was put into Treaty 1 would actually be honored this time. Uh, and you get these, you know, oh, we'll teach you how to farm, never mind that just, you know, 50 years earlier it had been uh, the Anishinaabe teaching the settlers how to farm. So there's quite a lot of, of irony uh, and uh, tragedy 
tied up in those treaties. But um, Mary, I just wanted to thank you so much again for giving us this time. Uh, we'll hopefully be releasing this this episode right around National Indigenous Day. So um, so for our listeners, that's one of the things we, we just really wanted to highlight the work that Mary and, and so many others have been doing in the Anglican Church of Canada. And there's still a lot of work to do. Um, but I, I hope that that our listeners have heard some ways in perhaps to this work. So I just wanted to give you a chance now, uh, if there's anything you wanted to, to plug or promote or, or ways that folks who are interested in this work can, can get more involved in it. Well, you know, thank you, Ryan. You know, uh, the way toward reconciliation, you know what reconciliation is really, it's, it, it is a, um, it's a, it's a deliberate uh, conscious effort to be in relationship with someone else. Uh, you know, and, and you know, reconciliation is not a, an indigenous process. Uh, you know, Corinthians uh, talks about about what that means, and uh, other places in the Bible talk about reconciliation. So, our, as a people of God, we know something about that word. What we're asking people to do is to put into practice what our faith teaches us, uh, and uh, to be in relationship with Indigenous peoples. Uh, and um, it is uh, 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 a process that is kind of foreign, perhaps feeling at first but is something that, that uh, education can bring about. Uh, the more we do m m come together uh, in education circles, the better that we are able to, uh, to live into that. So we're offering that at, at the parish of St. Uh, Stephen and St. Bede uh, and um, uh, with Epiphany Indigenous Anglican and a, and a few of our partners, we're offering the fifth uh, Indigenous Awareness uh, uh, month uh, in June. We begin this year on June 21st uh, with uh, a service of uh, Indigenous service of prayer at the Heritage Church across in Polo Park. And uh, then throughout uh, the month, uh, we, we will be getting our publicity out, but uh, we will be doing some virtual activity because it's hard, we can't meet right now if, uh, in person. Uh, so uh, we'll be doing, for example, a book study around David Robertson's, uh, uh, one of his latest books. Uh, he's an Indigenous author from Norway House. Uh, and we're asking people to, to purchase the book and join us for a discussion of that. Uh, we will be doing uh, uh, a virtual mapping exercise uh, 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 as part of, of that experience. We'll be doing a virtual 5K walk, which we started last year. And, and uh, you mentioned something about doing something in the parish uh, of St. Uh, uh, Thomas, for example. And that's the kind of thing that we did last year and the resources are available for that. Uh, we're asking people to do it in their own locations uh, uh, at their own leisure. And so uh, people who join in on that can, can, can uh, um, uh, go to the four directions on a walk and, and uh, say some prayers there and honor that uh, process. Uh, we will be uh, looking at um, uh, uh, a couple of other uh, uh, workshops uh, that we want to put on. For example, we'll be teaching people how to do uh, medicine uh, wheels and um, and I think uh, uh, also, uh, what else was there in that? There's a, uh, that and another uh, um, uh, artwork piece. Uh, and Amanda Wallen, who is an elder in our Indigenous community, will be teaching that. Um, there will be intro to uh, Cree uh, classes uh, for the public, and that'll be in the fall. Uh, and uh, uh, there, there will be... Um, uh, I think uh, also opportunities to to look at the, the do doctrine of discovery video of the Anglican Church of Canada and then come back and discuss it in, in terms of a sharing circle. So we will be doing that uh, a sharing circle uh, and that'll be virtual. 
so these are the kind of activities we've got to put dates on them yet and promote that activity. But uh, we encourage people to to uh, watch for those uh, uh, on our diocesan web, uh, website, and, and uh, we'll we'll be publicizing it as as much as possible. But we encourage people to come out, join us, and uh, and to learn more about Indigenous issues. That's great. Well, thank you again, Marie, and um, we'll try and promote on our on our social media feeds and stuff uh, any any of the events that are coming up. So. Uh, thank you again for for giving us this time and um, all the best with this busy season that you're heading into of workshops and teachings and, and all that. God bless. All right. Take care. God bless. Thanks for listening. You can listen on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you liked what you heard today, please leave a review and rating on iTunes and tell your friends.